first thing is you have to be hard-headed. <laughs> some of you wives are thinking, well, my husband qualifies. I won't tell you what some of the husbands are thinking. <laughs> Listen, first you have to be hard-headed. Watch this about the right thing. I'm Terry Knight, the pastor here at New Life Community Church. I thank you so much for turning us on, tuning us in. I trust, as always, that the Lord's just going to bless you all over the place as we fellowship together here for the next several moments. We're going to uh, jump right to the end of a series that we began a couple of weeks ago. It's one we've titled, Get Rid of It. It's taken out of Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to suggest to you as we get into this that we have a tendency, human beings have a tendency to default toward what they know. Now think with me, if you've served, if you haven't been a born-again, spirit-filled Christian most of your life, in other words, for the first 16 or 18 or 25 plus years of your life, you have served yourself and the enemy of your soul. Even though you may have been connected with the church, you've been serving yourself. And you know if you were honest, you would have to admit that. So even when you are born again, your spirit man has changed, your mind the soulish realm has a tendency to continue to lean toward what you already know. That's what makes for difficulty in living out the Christian life. Now, I trust you'll get this and that you won't just allow this to be another one of those videos that you see on Facebook or YouTube or TV, but that you really listen to this and get a hold of these biblical concepts. It will help you. I really believe that. Again, our text passage is Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to read an addition. Uh, one of the other uh, verses that we'll be using as we get into the teaching. It is found in Galatians. And I want to read just that one verse in your hearing. It's Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 24. And the record puts it this way. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Some of you have never heard that verse read before. You've never read it yourself. You've never heard it preached on. And it is essential to our walk and our lifestyle of holiness in this present existence. I trust you'll get a hold of it and allow us to flesh this out for you as we go along tonight. Father, I thank you for each one that's turned on this telecast, and I pray and ask in Jesus' name that you would speak to their hearts your word. Help them to know and understand that you have a perfect plan for their life, which involves them getting beyond what they know, the old man, and getting a hold of something new, that which you have for them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, you hang on. I'll be back here in just a little while to wrap things up. God bless. Let me give you a little bit of background from parts one and two. This will be relatively brief. We're going to hit your study notes, and uh, we'll be on with it very, very shortly. I have spent the last 
two weeks talking to you about, watch this, spiritual spring cleaning. What kind of spring cleaning? Spiritual spring cleaning. These vessels of flesh, those spirit-filled, by the way, spirit-filled is what God wants you to be. Will you point at yourself? Those spirit-filled, occasionally these vessels need to be shaken. Paul says that he wrote to a young Timothy, the, uh, the evangelist. Paul said to him in uh, the first letter, chapter four, the latter part of verse seven, train, or watch this, discipline yourself to be godly. Train and discipline. Why does it take discipline? Well, we're trying to help you understand that. Listen, beloved, our spiritual disciplines, such things as meditation, prayer, worship, Bible study, not just Bible reading, certainly that's included, but Bible study, fasting, the simplified lifestyle, those things can get dusty. They can get dusty. What do you mean by that, Pastor Terry? I mean they can suffer from neglect. How many of you have some little dust bunnies in your house? No, don't don't raise your hand. I don't want to make a liar out of you. But things can suffer from neglect. And how many of you know that dust does what dust does? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And dust can accumulate from neglect, can accumulate on these spiritual disciplines. That's why Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, you need to be careful. You need to watch about this. You need to do some dusting or some shaking every now and then. Number one on your study notes, fill this in with me. If you're new to new life, you've got some study notes. There's blanks. So the blanks are going to be filled in on the monitors. Follow along with me. Hopefully you can take this home with you. Uh, we get together for several reasons on the Lord's Day. One is to worship the Lord. The other is to teach the body of Christ and to help equip you. So here we go. It is the nature of our, watch this, our physical, fleshly drives. Now I could go into a lot of detail about fleshly drives, but you know all about these things, and we're going to talk about that in some detail here in just a moment. But it is the nature of our physical fleshly drives and our emotion-driven minds to default toward what it knows. Our flesh defaults toward what it knows. Our emotional minds defaults toward what it knows. The obvious question is this, pasta tea. What, it, what is it that it knows? Well, that's listed in Galatians. And you're probably thinking, is that the only verse you know? Seems like you read it every week. There's a good reason for it. Turn with me to Galatians chapter five. This is a very key part of the Bible. You know what I found out even from people that quote unquote read the Bible today? They've read the 23rd Psalm. They know that. They want that read at their funeral. And they know John 3.16 because they saw the dude on the uh, athletic contest many years ago with a rainbow hair holding up a big sign that said John 3.16. So they looked it up. They know those two verses. But that's about all they know about the Word of God. Now, are those verses, are, are those concepts important? Say yes. They're very important. But how many of you know there's 66 books here, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things we need to know and understand. Galatians chapter 5 is one of those important things. Look at verse 19. Paul says this, writing by inspiration, the acts of the sinful nature. You understand acts? The actions, that which is done. 
The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. How are they obvious, Pastor Terry? You know and understand these things. Watch this, see if you don't. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. What is that? Watch this, let me see your eyeballs. It is sex outside marriage, period. What about this, this thing, sex outside marriage? If it sets outside marriage, it's sexual immorality. How many of you know our world today is, is really familiar with that sort of thing? That's what he says. These things are obvious. Then he goes on into impurity and debauchery. It's just, I want to say, a profligate lifestyle, just a wild, rebellious lifestyle. Verse 20, idolatry. And witchcraft, manipulation, manipulating others, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Everybody say selfish ambition. Look at your neighbor and say, there's one I, don't, I never have to deal with. <laughs> Dissensions, factions, verse 21, and envy, drunkenness. Is that in there? Orgies. Can you believe he put that in there? Orgies. And he says, and the like. That doesn't mean like orgies. It means the like. These things, this is not an exhaustive list. Look at this. He says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Beloved, that is the description of the lifestyle of the natural sinful man. That lifestyle is deserving of a reward of eternal damnation and you will indeed receive your just recompense if you live that way. Now let me speak it very clearly and very plainly this morning. There's a reason why I'm doing so. God does not desire for you to live like this and perish in hell. People ask all the time, how could a loving God send someone to hell? Listen to me. God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there. God chose to send his son, Jesus the Christ. That's what the whole Easter celebration season is all about. He sent Jesus to die for your and my stinking wicked sin so that we did not have to spend eternity separated from him. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the Bible tells us. Listen, beloved, the modern American Christian, I want you to understand this. Even church attendees, they say something like this. It's okay for me to live like this. It's okay for me to, to do these things. But God says, no, it isn't. Now, who are you going to believe? What the world says, sinful people, or what God said, the holy, righteous God who is in control of the situation? The obvious question is this. Look at your neighbor and tell him it's obvious. Well, if it's so obvious, what is it? How does God desire for me to live? If it isn't like that, then how does God desire for me to live? Fill in number two with me. And I was about to get ahead of myself a few moments ago. I want you to get this. God desires for all persons 
Would you put that in capital letters, capital A, capital L, capital L, all persons, and I believe this. If I didn't believe this, I'm telling you, I'd be a miserable human being. God desires for all persons to come to repentance, that includes you, have their sins washed away, that includes you, and made a fit candidate for heaven, that includes you. How does that happen? By rebirth. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again, not physical birth, but spiritual birth, not an outward physical birth where you are ejected from the mother's womb and they hit you on the backside and you go, oh, and you start breathing, but a spiritual birth where God hits you on the backside and you start breathing. It's a graphic image, isn't it? I'm sure God would love to do that to some folks. No, I'm just kidding there. I was in the flesh. Stay with me. Listen, beloved. Those people who live like study note number two is suggesting, those people will not live like Galatians 5, 19 through 21, but rather those persons will live like Galatians chapter 5, verses 22, 23, and 24. Are you with me? Look at verse 22. It says, but, now understand this, the sin, acts of the sinful nature are this, and they're obvious to you, but, you're not supposed to live like that, but here's the way you are supposed to live, and will live when you're born again, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the natural born fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23 says gentleness and self-control. You see it there? Self-control. He says against such things, these things, there is no law. The law is not against these things. Look at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature. You understand what he's saying? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death those things in verses 19, 20, 21. They've crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires, with its fleshly things and its emotional things. Ooh. Once you're born again, how do you make that transition from living what I know, the acts of the sinful nature, to that which God has purposed me to know, the fruit of the Spirit? Pastor Terry, how is it that I get my, my flesh, this fleshly body, and my mind, this emotion-driven mind, how is it that I get all of that on board with my spirit, my renewed spirit? Fill in number three with me on your study notes. I started to say sturdy notes. These are sturdy study notes. The first thing is you have to be hard-headed. <laughs> some of you wives are thinking, well, my husband qualifies. I won't tell you what some of the husbands are thinking. Listen, first you have to be hard-headed, watch this, about the right things. How many of you know some people who are hard-headed, but what we're talking about is being hard-headed about 
the right things, our text passage helps us to begin to understand this. Look at verse 2 once again, Hebrews 12, 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes. Again, the obvious question to me is this. What does it mean to fix our eyes? Fix our eyes. One translation, Dewey Rames translation, puts it this way. The Lord God is my helper, therefore I am not confounded. Listen to this. Therefore have I set my face as a most hard rock. Set my face like a flint, the old version says. My face is like a rock, and I know that I shall not be confounded. This word fits is sort of kind of a phrase in the original language, and it, it's the word afaro, that's as, about as close as I can come, and it means this, watch this, it's very important for you to understand, it means not only looking unto or looking at something, but it means to look away from something else in order to look at something else looking away from something else in order to look at something else, something else distinctly. Hmm. How many of you know my lovely wife, Donna? Yes, get an amen right there. Lovely wife, Donna, would you come up here just a sec? Every now and then I feel led to use her as a sermon illustration. Especially when it, uh, when it fits. See, Donna, had one of the things about Sister D that Pastor T really appreciates is some beautiful green eyes of hers. And uh, I could just look into them <laughs> all day long. Beautiful green eyes. How many of you know that on August the 2nd, 19 uh, 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 years ago, 1980, is stood before uh, Pastor Joe and looked into those eyes and Pardon? Well, I know you was, well, get over here where you was. Stop moving around so much. Uh, Several years ago, we stood before Pastor Joe and I locked eyes with Donna and I made a determination then that these were going to be the eyes that I was going to fix my eyes to. Don't, Don't know if you've ever noticed this or not. This is too much information. I don't lock eyes with other women. But I can lock, in fact, I can't, don't want to, have no desire to, but I can lock eyes with her. How many of you know, as long as I keep my eyes on her, I'm not likely to get my eyes on somebody else, like Brian? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that works nowadays in some circles, not here. As long as I keep my eyes fixed on her, I'm not likely to get my eyes fixed on something else. Amen? that make sense? Are you digging what I'm saying? All right, now that's me and Sister D. How many of you know that if I do fix my eyes somewhere else, not only is that going to hurt Sister D and our relationship and be injurious to my health, (laughs) can you imagine what that would do to my children? It's one of the things that keeps me focused on these eyes. It's Justin, Barbie, and Caleb. Now, Becky, what's his name? Brett, Brett and, and Emma. Yeah. And then we have nine little grandbabies. Nine little grandbabies. It's unbelievable. Can you imagine if Pops 
focused his attention somewhere else, his eyes somewhere else, what that would do to my little grandchildren. Some of you have experienced that, and I sort of experienced that. Let me tell you, I don't want to put my children or grandchildren through that. The Lord willing, I'm not going to. Can you imagine what it would do to you if I fixed my eyes somewhere else? How many of you know what happens? Churches right here in this community reeling from that every time you turn around. The pastor simply got his eyes off the prize, his lovely wife. I must peel away for a few moments, dear, but we will lock up again. <laughs> Say amen right there. Don't make me come after you or my... Would you all stand? We're going to be dismissed. No, don't. I have to be, watch this, hard-headed about what I was just talking about. I have to be hard-headed about that. I have to be focused about that. I have to be determined about that. I have to be disciplined about that. I have to be, watch this, here's a word. I don't, I'm not sure there is a word. It will be in just a moment. I have to be fixated about that. Are you with me? Now, you're probably way ahead of me. I'm not just talking about Sister D and I, and I hope that you won't get lost in the illustration, but you will understand what I'm really trying to say to you here uh, beyond that, and that is that God desires for you to live fixated on the fruit of the Spirit. How are you doing with that? That's God's desire for you. Now, hang on. This is not going to be a swinging from the chandelier message. You might want to draw your toes up, but hang on. I want to introduce to you this morning something I've been laying the foundation for for the last couple of weeks, but I want to introduce to you the most distracting distraction that you will ever encounter. And I'm going to be very graphic, so you'll want to pay attention. It will battle your fit-saidness every moment of every day for the rest of your life. This hindrance, if you please, this distraction. Now, how many of you know that we Americans, truly we Americans, live in a world that is overwrought with physical distractions? Can I get an amen right there? So much so that we do not often realize the evolution of a spiritual distraction. Are you tracking with me? We're surrounded by so much physical that we often do not realize the nature of a spiritual distraction. I want to help you make the distinction between the two. Listen, beloved, the physical distraction is not the beginning of the problem. Then what is? The physical distraction is a symptom of a much deeper spiritual distraction. Now, our tendency as human beings is that we believe and we would argue that physical distractions lead to spiritual distractions. I want to preach to you this morning that that absolutely, positively is not true. It's spiritual distractions that lead to physical distractions. And I'm going to show you from the Word of God. This will be helpful to you if you're serious about chasing Jesus. How many of you are? 
that's enough of you to keep going. Fill in number four on your study notes, if you would, please. The greatest hindrance that, you, that will ever threaten to entangle you spiritually. You remember the old rope and getting tangled and hindered? The greatest hindrance that, you, that will threaten to entangle you spiritually is your self. Yourself, And I want you to write yourself in the blank, but put your name out beside of it. And then, then listen very intently. Can I lay your study notes aside for a second? Listen. What I'm talking about, watch this, is your, are you watching? Is your stubborn will. So, Pastor, I'm not stubborn. Watch this. I didn't say you were stubborn. I said your stubborn will. Now, I'll tell you this, some of the most amicable people I know are spiritually stubborn as a mule. They'll smile through the whole thing, and you'll think they're the life of the party. In fact, they might be the life of the party. But they've got this stubborn will. That's what we're talking about this morning. Beloved, we're going to wrap it up right there. There's a little bit more to this particular part of the series. We'll look forward to sharing that with you. But let me reiterate something that we were speaking about just moments ago in the message. The greatest hindrance that you will face in this journey that we call Christianity, or as you chase Jesus, you chase after the things of Jesus, the greatest enemy that you will face is you. The greatest enemy that I will face is me. So we have to learn to overcome ourselves. And those of you that have been striving after, chasing after Jesus, trying to follow the Bible way for any time at all, you know I'm telling you the truth. It's an old message of holiness, getting rid of ourselves, get, putting ourselves aside so that we might allow Holy Spirit to move and have His will and His way in our, own, in our own heart. Well, Pastor Terry, what do you do about that? You preachers are always telling us what's wrong, but you don't help us. Here's what you do about that. You stay in the Word. You read the Bible, the Word of God, and stay in that and allow that to reflect back to you what you should be, not what you are. Does that make sense? reflecting back to you what you should be and not what you are. And in the power of the Spirit, you can be an overcomer. That's why I'm here, is to encourage you to be an overcomer. I'm not here to beat you up, but to build you up. And I trust and pray that you would be challenged to get a hold of the Word of God, the Bible, and to read it and know it and understand it for yourself. Get it inside and allow it to work inside so that it can work outside and enable you to be a better, a more consistent, a faithful follower of Jesus. That's what God has purposed for you. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one that's listening with their physical ears right now. And I pray that they would be able to hear with their spiritual ears and their heart and that you would change their spirit and move them on the inside and help them in the mind-renewing process. Help them, Lord, to get self out of the way. Help me to do that day in and day out that I might purpose to look to you, to know and understand your will, your way for my life, and to live it out in the power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. 
hey, I'm going to have to get out of here. Before I do, I want to remind you that New Life has in-person gatherings on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We also have live stream. Listen to me. I would encourage you wholeheartedly to get involved in an in-person worship gathering. In particular, in this day and age, it is essential to your walk with the Lord to learn to walk with other believers in the power of the Spirit. We begin at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. We also have midweek activities Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. That's not too much activity for those who claim to be going to heaven, by the way. Hey, I'm Terry Knight, the pastor of New Life Community Church. I trust you're going to have a great week, what's left of it. And remember, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back 